Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the 19th chapter, I think. Yes, <laughs> starting in verse 16. Just then, a young man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God, we give you thanks and praise that your words stir up our hearts. And God, we seek you. We seek you, Lord. And we ask for the grace of an awareness of where you are found. Let this word be our bread. Let it make us new. Amen. Church, every story... Every detail in every story, every piece of scripture, every word in scripture, and when it comes to the Hebrew, every letter literally contains a universe of truth. So much revelation and beauty wait for us in each moment that we come to scripture. These are living words. They are alive. They are pregnant with revelation for us. And if you've been hanging around churches for any period of time, you have probably heard the story that we just heard before. And you have probably heard teaching or preaching that this is a story about wealth, salvation, and perhaps the most terrifying element in the story, perfection. And all of those things are true. But I want us this morning to look at this strange and challenging story through a particular lens, with a particular angle. I want us to look at it through the lens of one of our core values here at the Grove, and that is opportunity. What do we mean by that? We all know that the world we live in is not as it should be. 
That this life we have is not what it was created to be by God. It is not what we were intended for in the garden. It is not what it will be in the fullness of time when Christ's reign is complete. We can all agree that this life is not what it should be. And nobody, nobody would argue otherwise. No matter what God you worship, even if you worship no God at all, no one believes that life right now is as it should be. It's not what it should be, but it is familiar to us. We have grown accustomed to it. We have made a certain sort of false and shallow peace and accepted the brokenness of our world. And so when we see life happening around us, we're just like, of course, there's no peace in the Middle East. That's just the way it is. Of course, there's a huge gulf of injustice and oppression that is crushing and destroying lives. Of course, the criminal justice system is unjust. Of course, people die of treatable diseases in prison and have no chance for rehabilitation when they are released. Of course, children get shot up in schools sometimes. Of course, there are billionaires using their wealth to try to colonize Mars instead of love their neighbors. Of course, fires rage across the face of the earth and soon plastic will outnumber fish in the seas. Things are terrible. Things are wrong. Things are tragic. Things are evil beyond our comprehension. And we, sometimes especially we people of faith, we just accept it all. It's how it is in this broken and fallen world. And we might pray for God to protect us from it. We might pray for God to prosper us in it. But we don't really expect anything different. Life isn't what it should be. We all agree, but we do know what it is. And we don't actually expect it to be different. Not in our lifetime. But then we believe that Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, comes unexpectedly into the world and declares that all the words of the prophets are fulfilled in me, that the kingdom of God has come in the midst of you, that God has anointed me, Jesus says in his very first sermon. God has anointed me, that means empowered me, to bring good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. And this is the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, in me, here and now, life once again becomes what it always should have been. Redeemed and restored in Christ, life is what it was in the beginning. Shalom, the mutually interdependent flourishing of all creation. A goodness of God that is so big, so expansive that every person, every creature, every living plant, every microbe, even the rocks have all that they need. This is the revelation, the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus brings into the world. And when Jesus says, come and follow me, be born again. I will be in you and you will be in me. He is saying, you don't have to wait for the next world or the next life. This life will be God's abundant shalom for you. This is the opportunity 
that we are given when we are invited and equipped by the Holy Spirit to enter into Christ's kingdom. That not wholly now, but partially, life becomes as it should be here and now. And what seems impossible begins here and now. That's the fullness of salvation that we find in Christ. And for us as individuals, it goes so far beyond our death-shaped expectations. But that fullness is nothing more than God offers us, and God offers us nothing less than the redemption and the restoration and renewal of all creation. So Jesus is walking around and inviting people into this wild, imaginably good, holy new life. And it is so much more than anybody ever dared to hope or dream for. It is a good news that is beyond human comprehension, that if we take it seriously, even we have to wonder, how could even God be this good? And a rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good thing do I have to do to get this salvation life? Now, this guy, he is winning in the world that is. Life is not what it should be, but it's not too bad for this guy. First of all, he's a guy. So, you know, he's not a woman. (laughs) He's like a whole real person with agency and rights. (laughs) Second, he's young. His body has not yet begun to betray and confound him. He is at the height of his strength and power and ability, and his life lays ahead of him full of possibility. And third, he's rich. He's young and rich, so generational wealth. And that wealth gives him power and options and protection. And his wealth is almost universally understood by everyone to be a blessing. So his wealth is a divinely sanctioned sign that God is on his side. He is favored. He has pleased God. How do we know? He's rich. Then and now we think, have you got money? You must be doing something right. So life is not what it should be, but it is almost everything it can be for this particular person who comes to Jesus. And still, even he knows that something is wrong, something is lacking. Maybe especially he knows because he can't blame his soul pain on poverty or injustice or or old age or disease because he's not experiencing any of that. So something in him has made him restless has given him a holy spiritual discomfort and it has driven him out to find Jesus. But his question, his question, he says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And you see his worldview. He has transactional ethics. Tell me what behavior I must practice, what gift, what offering. Tell me what I have to trade out of what I have to get eternal life. Teacher, tell me. And Jesus is like, get out of here. Jesus just rejects his question. He says, why are you asking me what is good? Only God is good, and you're calling me teacher, so you definitely don't believe that I'm the son of God. And God has already shown everybody what is good. Why are you asking me what is good? You know what is good. Keep the commandments. It's never been a secret. You know the answer. You just don't like it. And the rich young man says, well, which ones? 
church. I love it. He's so honest. It's such a bold question. Because like for real, for real, he's saying, I'm not going to keep all of them. So like, which ones are you really serious about? Like, tell me exactly what's required, because I don't want to do any unnecessary extra goodness. So Jesus answers him. And interestingly, Jesus answers him, and he doesn't use, share any of the commands that are about religion or worship or doctrine or ritual. But Jesus answers him with the commandments that are about regulating people's behavior to one another. So don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother. And here's the mic drop command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then this guy says, I've done it all. What do I still lack? Which let's just pause and consider that. Which one of us here would ever dare to say to Jesus or anyone, I've kept all of these commandments, Jesus, I got it. It is an astonishing thing for a person to say. I mean the chutzpah. Now there's two ways to think about this guy at this point. There is an easy way and a hard way. There's a way to read this guy that makes this text easy for us and a way to read him that makes it hard for us. Here's the easy way. He's a fool and a liar. There's no way any serious person could make that claim. He must just be a shallow egomaniac. Rich people, am I right? For one thing, if you really loved your neighbor as yourself, you wouldn't be rich anymore, right? Because if you didn't value your wealth, you'd give it away. And if you did value your wealth, but you loved your neighbor as yourself, you'd give your wealth to them. So you can read these words and just assume this guy is an arrogant, rich jerk. That's the easy way to read this story. Spoiler alert, the easy way is almost always wrong. Here's the hard way to read the story. He was telling the truth. He really was a person with extraordinary wealth and privilege and also an exceptional, extraordinary commitment to righteousness that he was walking out. Here's the hard way to read the story, and it really challenges us to believe that actually he was telling the truth. He had met the ethical mark, and I think that actually is the truth. Because when he says it, Jesus doesn't challenge him. And Jesus is always up for challenging a religious person who's self-deluded. And also, he's there. He's found Jesus. He is seeking and asking. His practice of the covenant life has driven him past reasonableness, past every standard that everyone around him would say was enough and more than enough. He is there seeking Jesus because he knows there is something he lacks. He knows that though the world and his faith says you've got it made, he knows there is something more and he wants it. His soul is not satisfied with his wealth or his youth. And the next verse in your Bible probably reads, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, then come and follow me. And I don't know what's more devastating about this story. The challenge command to go and sell everything and give everything away. I don't know if that bothers me more or that word. Perfect. Oh, we got to be perfect now, Jesus. Oh, keeping the commands, even the command to love one's neighbor as oneself, even that is not enough. We got to be perfect now. 
This word perfect, or maybe it's complete in your Bibles or mature. It's the English translation of the Greek word teleos. And it doesn't actually mean what we think it means. It doesn't mean sinless and without flaw or fault or defect. It's actually the Greek translation of a Hebrew word. And can anybody guess what that word is? We've already talked about it today. It's shalom. Jesus says, if you want to be whole, if you want to be complete, if you want that salvation, shalom, kingdom life right here and right now, if you want to be part of my kingdom of shalom, the realm where no one has too much and no one has too little, and one person's good fortune doesn't require the suffering or tragedy of another person or being, if you want to really be part of what I am doing here and now, restoring, redeeming, and transforming life as it is in all of its terrifying, tragic, brutal brokenness, if you really want to be part of the restoration and redemption to what it was and will be, if you really do understand, if you really do have the spiritual wisdom with all of your blessings and advantages and privileges to want something more, something even more valuable, if you want shalom now, okay, go sell everything you have Give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. And that's the invitation. That's the opportunity. Not just for him, for all of us. It is nothing more and nothing less than letting go of all you have and all you are. And the wild hope and foolish faith that Jesus is enough. And in him, all God's promises are true. That Jesus's life is the overflowing all. If you want shalom, sell everything, give everything away, leave behind the world that is in all of its brokenness that you have accepted and follow me and dare to believe that right now you can enter into the world that will be. And what comes next in the story? The young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now cue every commentator ever, and almost every preacher ever, saying, see, this is what happens when you love your money more than Jesus. He walked away, what a shame. But also, don't worry, you don't have to do this, because he was too attached to his money, but you're not too attached to your money. You're just the right amount of attached to your money. Keep it so you can give part of it to the church. This doesn't apply to you. It only applies to him because he loved his wealth and his possessions more than Christ. So just don't fall into that trap and you'll be fine. But here's the thing, church, and I'm so indebted to my good friend, Reverend Greg Bentley in Alabama for helping me see this. We don't actually know what choice he made. We assume that he turned away from Jesus. But that says more about us and what we think we would do than it does about him. Our assumptions are telling the truth on us to us. Scripture doesn't say that he chose not to follow Jesus. Scripture says he went away sad because he had a lot of money. But friends, that's what he would have done if he'd chosen to follow Jesus too. He said, remember, he said, Back it up. Jesus, what do I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, which ones? Jesus said, these ones. He said, I have. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, go, sell everything you have, then come and follow me. And he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And maybe he was sad 
Because he was going to do what Jesus told him to do. Maybe he went away to do exactly what Jesus said in order to have the opportunity to follow Christ. And he was sad about it. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be sad and scared and maybe even resentful? That's how I read the text now, camel and all. The spirit of God had been unsettling this young man's soul, and it was a holy anguish, a gift of grace that drove him to Jesus. And I think he went away sad because he intended to do it. He intended to follow. And he was sad about what it was going to cost him. And here's why I think it matters that we know this. It matters that we are mature enough as a community to understand that the opportunity to follow Jesus comes with real cost, real sacrifice, real pain, and sometimes real sadness. And if we don't know that, then we will let our pleasures and our preferences shape our faith. We'll say, oh, I am committed to justice, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be arrested. There's no way this is required of me. Following Jesus is supposed to feel good all the time. So hard passed on that. No, I'm truly committed to loving my neighbor as myself, but that person annoys the snot out of me. I just can't even with that person. Jesus be a fence. Protect me. Am I right? But I am committed to loving my neighbor as myself. Or we want to be part of a multicultural community, but we still need to sing this song. And worship still needs to feel like this. And that is highly unacceptable to me. And how dare they show up like that? And don't they know better? And how dare he say that to me? Oh, I want to be part of a faith community where people can ask questions and grow into their gifting. I want to be part of a faith community where people can discover who Jesus is and become disciples of Jesus Christ. But they need to show up already ready, already knowing, already equipped, already gifted, already mature. I want to be part of a growing faith community, but not like that. Friends, here's the truth as simple as I can make it. In Christ, we really are given the opportunity to new life. And it is different than our former lives. Even the things that are good, we release our hold on. Because God has something better. We have the opportunity by God's grace to enter in as we are and come alive in Christ and be made new. But like every opportunity, it has costs. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to never fail or fall again. And you don't have to live in fear and agony. You are welcome to say yes to Jesus just as you are. You are not only allowed but required to grow and change and become. And that is going to be and feel messy, even sad sometimes. The song that we sang at the beginning of worship today wrecked me that I will follow song. We haven't sung it for years here, but we used to sing it. All the time in the middle of our, in the beginning of our transformation, when two thirds of the congregation had left and most of you had not yet come there and we had set aside every single thing that we knew how to do well and we're trying to do new things that we were bad at. 
and we looked like fools up here on that stage. And I remember standing on the stage just being like, really, God? Really, is this what I have to do to love who you love and to serve who you serve? Do I really have to look stupid? Do I really have to sacrifice heat in the building and leaks in the roof? Is it really this hard to be faithful? And I heard the Lord say, yes. And here's what I know. Thank God the grace of God held and sustained me because whatever God asks of us, we can never out-sacrifice the Lord. Whatever the Lord requires of us is truly, truly, truly not a test or a trap, but for our good. The life that God is inviting us into is better, better, better than even the best parts of the life we have. And it will be unfamiliar and it will make us sad sometimes before it makes us glad. But in Jesus, the opportunity is new life. God's shalom here and now to the glory of his name.